Wholesale Link Studios, powered by RumbleOn.com. It's time to take you behind the scenes in Smashville. Cuts across, he scores! This is the Preds' official podcast with Thomas Willis and Brooks Bratton. A powerful move from back of the net. On Smashville's best sports talk. ESPN. 102.5 The Game. Episode 115 of the Predators official podcast. And we've got hockey to talk about. Brooks Braddon, Thomas Willis of NashvillePredators.com here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Streaming on the Game Nashville app. It is January the 15th as we record. And Thomas, the Nashville Predators are undefeated. Can you believe it? Episode 115 on the date 115. Wow. <laughs> Almost as if we planned it. Yes. We're, not, the, we're we, not that smart, though. No, of course not. That That's just, you know, how the cookie crumbles, as they say. Mm, uh, <laughs> here we are, 55 games to go. Um, one one down, the Preds win opening night 3-1 to one over the Blue Jackets. Um, there was a lot to like. There was a, a lot to build on. And, and I think you saw... You like to see a team get stronger and perform better as the game goes on. I don't think the Predators loved their first period or their start by any means, but then their third period, we'll see. I mean, that could be one of the best periods they play in the whole month of January. I mean, only allowing the opposition to, to four shots and you know holding on to uh, a lead. So that that's uh, not a bad way to start 2021. Not bad at all. As you said, the Predators get that 3-1 victory over the Blue Jackets on opening night. We'll discuss that contest. We will also get into the Predators finally setting their roster and taxi squad ahead of the season. We know there have been a ton of debate on those players and who was going to be where as training camp continued on. We finally got answers on that earlier in the week, so we will do our best to analyze. But head coach John Hines is pretty good at that, too. You'll hear from him a bit later on. Also, we have already recorded our interview with friend of show, sports NHL insider Elliot Friedman is coming up later in the program. Always great to talk to him with some excellent Preds and NHL discussion and of course, lots of Twitter questions too. I just sent a tweet out uh, this morning as we record on Friday and people, they got stuff to talk about. So we're here to do it and we'll get to as many as we can in the next 48 or so minutes. But opening night, it's just, you want to win that first one. It does so much for the morale. And while we sit here, and of course, we will always say on this show, never too high, never too low. It's important to temper expectations. But a win on opening night looks a heck of a lot better than a loss. The Predators did that. They scored three unanswered goals to come back and beat the Columbus Blue Jackets. Luke Cunning, Philip Forsberg, Kelly Arncroke all scored. UC Saros made 29 saves as he got the nod on opening night the first time in what a decade that the peck arena hasn't started on opening night and also one more tidbit to mention on philip forsberg's goal it was 167 the number of his career goals there that moves him into second all time on the predators franchise goal list let's hear it pete weber on the call off the faceoff, tipped up the left board, knocked down. Here's Philip Forsberg breaking in two on one. He scores! Philip Forsberg from the left circle. It's 2-1 Nashville. 
So there you go. Philip Forsberg's yeah. goal proves to be the game winner. And Thomas, as you said, lots to build on, but lots to like in that opening start. And uh, all you could really ask for in this season of uncertainty. And since we started recording, we've now learned that Brad, uh, Brad Richardson, who won the faceoff, we knew he had an assist. But now we've learned that Mark Borowiecki gets an assist on a goal as well. And so the new guys deliver. And you'll hear this. We've made this disclaimer in seasons past. We're talking about one game. You know, like, yes, it means more than one out of 82, but it's only one out of 56. So we, we aren't going to dwell too long on a single game and what that could mean because if the Predators had lost, I think you and I would be sitting here and saying, you know, it's not all over. It's going to be fine. We saw good signs, but, you know, conversely, um, they won. And, and I know I already mentioned it, but I do think the defensive effort in the third period is something to be encouraged about. Um, and we saw a lot of what we heard all summer long of being better defensively, locking things down more and being tougher to play against. I think we saw some elements of that. And we will talk about this more in our next segment, but with the way that the playoffs work now, eight teams in the central division, four of them will make the postseason, four will not. You're only playing your fellow rivals for 56 games. So every night is a four point game. If you want to use that term and conversely, so is it for the rest of the division because they too are, are playing. And so I think that will make the standings very interesting on whether teams will be able to move up or won't. And all of a sudden, you know, few point gaps will seem very large in, in a shortened season as well. And I think most would agree that the Preds and the Blue Jackets are teams that are right there in that probably three to five range as they battle back and forth. So to go ahead and get the first one, knowing that you're going to play them again on Saturday. Oh, by the way, and then six more times later in the season, but, but still to go ahead and be able to win once, I think is encouraging because like I said, we'll talk about it more in a moment, but you have to imagine that the Stars, Hurricanes, Blue Jackets, and Preds, I mean, those are teams that are going to be going back and forth over and over again, trying to make it into that top four in the Central Division. So I think also the Blue Jackets are similar, at least in some of their terminology and philosophy, that the Predators are. Under head coach John Tortorella, they, he always wants to see commitment. He doesn't want to see a can and then do gap, as we've heard John Hines talk a lot about during training camp. He wants to see the effort. He wants to be good defensively. And the Predators were able to, in a sense, beat them at their own game. So, so yeah, a, a big goal from Luke Cunning to really get things going. I think you felt Nashville's pretty flat until that point. Uh, they weren't getting a lot of chances, especially in the first period. Um, but Conan, who's on the second line, I don't know if that's just because Mikhail Granlin is out or that could be a long term thing alongside Matt Duchesne. He elects to shoot on the two on one, gets things going there for Nashville. And then I think from there you saw that momentum help, you know, turn the game and the Preds were better defensively. So, yeah, to, to, to get that out of the way, uh, I think is encouraging for sure. And now they have three more games on, on this homestand. But we've actually even had some minor roster moves since we you know, put the big report record button or however producing this podcast works. Max knows about that. Not, not us, but um, we've had a, a bit of a change there, but we wanted to go into what this roster looks like right now, what we saw on the lines and then the taxi squad as well. So um, I guess lead us off with the one minor ish roster move. We just saw, you know, like I said, since we started recording a few minutes ago. Indeed. So, the Predators had a, I guess you could say the one surprise on opening night in the lineup was Cole Smith, a forward who made his NHL debut on the fourth line with Brad Richardson and Kelly Earncroke. He has since been returned to the Predators taxi squad. 
defenseman Luca Spiza, who Nashville picked up earlier in the week on waivers from Winnipeg, a veteran defenseman. He has been added to Nashville's active roster. So as we said, there's a lot to analyze in this, and I, it's, it's going to change, and you'll hear John Hines say more on that in just a moment. But we do know, obviously, now what those things look like. There were 21 players when it was announced on uh, Wednesday. There were 21 players on the active roster, five more on the taxi squad. But we know Philip Forsberg, Colton Sissons, Luke Cunning, Yakov Trennan, Brad Richardson, Callie Yarncroft, Nick Cousins, Rocco Grimaldi, Victor Arvidsson, Eric Halla, Ryan Johansson, and Matt Duchesne are the forwards on that active roster. Cole Smith goes back to the taxi squad. Defenseman Ryan Ellis, Matt Benning, Matthias Ekholm, Jared Tenorti, Dante Fabro, Roman Yossi, Mark Borvietsky, and now Lucas Spiza has been added. And of course, Pecorine and Yusi Saros are the goaltenders. So Mikhail Granlin is now the only player on the non-roster, which you mentioned. He has been dealing with immigration issues, but here's a hot tip. He's actually in Nashville now, and so hopefully he can begin that quarantine process. As David Poyle and John Hines have said, they were hopeful that Granlin could get to Nashville this week, which he has. And then in theory, it's a seven-day quarantine process. So the Predators were prepared to start the season without him. That will be the case. And we got a lot of questions on where Granlin can fit in the lineup. And we'll get to that a bit later on in the show. But certainly expect to see Mikhail Granlin in the Nashville lineup, potentially as early as later next week. So that is something to keep an eye on. And then the taxi squad which everybody was interested in this as well. Matthew Olivier, Ellie Tolvanen, Cole Smith are the forwards. Alex Carrier is the defenseman and Connor Ingram is the goaltender. You had to have a goaltender. Ingram gets that spot there. So news, notes, surprises. What what do we think about how this shook out and, and what's to come here as far as the the players available to the Predators right now? For me, I think the second line is still a question we haven't answered yet, and, and we'll know more, as you mentioned it, with Granlin. We know he won't play against the Blue Jackets and the Hurricanes. Could he be back in time for the trip to Dallas to face the Stars? Will that game remain as it's scheduled? That's what we'll have to wait and see. But don't expect him for the homestand. So what we saw on Thursday night was Halla, Duchesne, and Cunnan as the second line. You would think one of those is likely to stay, but I also would think that Granlin takes one of the spots, and, and that's what I, I don't know at this moment who it will be. And I think maybe even Coach Hines theoretically doesn't know. He could be leaving it up to Hala and Cunnan themselves um, to see what they do over the next three games to see you know which one earns the spot. So I think that's one of the bigger questions because we spent so much time on it during this offseason. What would it be Ellie Tolvanen? Could it be Philip Tomasino? Were the Preds going to sign, you know, a player like a Mike Hoffman or somebody else? We got our answer, of course, with Granlin returning. We didn't expect that. And I don't think Hollow was on our radar that much, at least from a podcast perspective. And now, you know, we know that he's into the option and the rotation for the second line. So I think that remains there. I think the third line, of course, the first line is, you know, Johansson Arvidsson, of course, where we, we expected that we got that. I think the third line, is pretty similar to what we were thinking. I really liked Nick Cousins uh, on Thursday night. He did have a breakaway, didn't score on it, but I think that's encouraging as well. And then, I mean, he, to me, is the epitome of what we've talked about for the last few months. I mean, you mentioned to me that you just saw, I mean, his 
his lips were moving the whole game. He, he was yapping and, and talking, mm-hmm. laid some hits. But he's got, you know, scoring edge as well, as we saw even in the scrimmage game. So the third line is about what I thought with a, with a Colton Sissons, you know, kind of role in there. Do you see Luke Cunning perhaps go down to that third line? I think that's possible. Um, and then the fourth line, Brad Richardson is – in theory, a, a improved version of what we used to get from Paul Gostad way back when, which is a guy that's excellent on faceoffs, excellent on the penalty kill, and a veteran guy. But hey, he had a four goal game. You're going to hear us keep, you know, mentioning that. From- <laughs> he has the ability to score when needed. Um, and, and, and again, back to this only being a one game sample, but he was in the defensive zone to win the faceoff. And he did that. And then, yes, Philip Forsberg does 90% of the rest of the work to score and get the game winning goal. Hey, that, you know, that matters. That matters when you're, you know, back uh, in your defensive zone and it's a one, one gridlock at that point. So um, the penalty kill is 100% as of this recording, the power play is 0% as of this recording. So I'll I'll let, you know, people work into that, what they feel. But um, I think the only other thing to discuss is just how quickly we see Pecorine, as you mentioned, UC Saros getting the first opening night start, not unexpected, but I mean, huge. I mean, significant. That, that's just one more way. I mean, it, it feels like a long time ago, but it was only August. It was only four or five months ago when we didn't really know who the game one starter would be in the qualifying round for the Preds against the Coyotes. And it was Saros, and that was a big deal. I think likewise that continues into opening night. So the Predators have a back-to-back early next week against the Hurricanes. We're certainly seeing Rene then. Could we see him even sooner? Uh, that, that's what we don't know. Um, but, you know, Saros only allowing one goal. I believe he had 29 saves. So, I mean, that's, you know, n- nice to see. And then I think the only other question will be what this defense looks like. I think Ellis and Yossi are a lock. Are Ekholm and Fabro Probably. But, you know, could there be some change there with now – Luca Spiza coming into the mix. Um, my assumption would be that he and Tenorti are kind of the ones that are in that realm of going back and forth um, for that spot. But, you know, potentially the Predators do have a guy that, you know, they wanted enough to claim on waivers from the Jets. So he could potentially enter into that mix as well. And, and I know I've rambled, so I'll close with this. Coach Hines said this, but it's just one more time to worth uh, to reiterate the taxi squad, in a sense, I mean, it, it is almost as if the normal limit of 23 was expanded, you know, just for a few more players. Like, it's not going to be some super formal recall from the AHL and, you know, come back and forth and do all of that. I'll be interested to see how that works with road trips. But for now, the team's all here. The team's all in Nashville. The team's all in Bridgestone Arena. And to my understanding, the morning of, if you were like, this guy's going from the taxi squad to the roster, great. You know, that could be done. So, mm-hmm. and I bet that continues. Um, like, He'll, he'll touch on this in our next segment with Elliot Friedman, but um, you know, that's going to happen. There's going to be much more roster turnover and changes, maybe even between a morning skate and a game, you know, than we've ever seen before. So um, I think because of that, the Predators wanted a balance of forwards and defensemen. And as you mentioned, the requirement for a goalie. So outside of that, Cole Smith was probably the surprise for sure, but now he's on the taxi squad. What does that mean for Jakob Trinan? Could he be back in the lineup? Could we get any closer to Mikhail Granlund? So um, we will see and we'll learn soon. But one game down, 55 to go. I think you and I would both agree that John Hines did a great job in explaining how this roster and taxi squad is going to shake out during the season. So let's hear from the head coach himself, John Hines, on his personnel with the Predators. I think as a coach, as coaches and management, it's it's good to have uh, some tough decisions to make because that means the you know the players the players really worked hard and did a good job. So we feel like you know we have uh, uh, guys in the right spots, and I think 
you know, you don't necessarily want to read too, too much into who's where, just in the sense that there's going to be a lot of, you know, fluidity to the situations, whether it be guys that are on the the 22-man roster or the taxi squad or the players that have been assigned to um, to Chicago, right? T tentatively right now, we have them staying here in Nashville. They're going to practice at Centennial. So we have access to all the players. So we had to make some decisions for, uh, obviously, for the for the deadline. But we feel like we have a lot of good options that will be easily accessible to us. I think the beauty of, of what's going on in these situations, as I said, is I think you have to look at the active roster and the taxi squad as one um, because you have the ability to, to go up and down. Those players can practice with the team every day. Um, so, you know, we feel like guys are in, in, in positions where they should be based on training camp and, and some uh, things that they've proven to us. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with Philip when he comes back. I mean, he's been quarantined for a while, so let's get him up and running and see where see where his game's at. Uh, you know, Tolby's committee's at a good camp. He's made the uh, taxi squad. He's, you know, there's no saying that uh, a guy in the taxi squad that's listed there today doesn't mean they won't be in the lineup tomorrow because um, you have that flexibility. So we feel like we've we have guys in good spots, and and we feel like uh, we have access to all the players. One minor point of clarification. Coach, they're referring to Philip Tomasino, not Philip Forsberg. Uh, but um, like he alluded to, I think we could see him on the taxi squad or, you know, whether he's assigned to the AHL. But I think we see him on the ice and maybe put into the rotation as well. And I think from an injury perspective, we may have been tipped to something related to Ellie Tolvanen, which was Victor Arvidsson missing in practice just prior to opening night. And it was Ellie Tolvanen who went alongside Forsberg and Johansson on the first line. So I think that speaks to now that you don't have the AHL restrictions and you just have the taxi squad, it could be very simple for Predators management if they want to, oh, a top line guy's out, immediately go into Ellie Tolvin. And you're not worried about the classic question we've had in the past, which is have him on the roster, but he's not really playing because there's not a spot for him. And then you, you don't want to play him on the third or fourth line. So I've seen comments of being like, you know, is the youth movement dead? I don't think so. I mean, because does it return as soon as Tolvanen gets into the lineup? Maybe. And I think that could happen. I just think the Predators looked at their evaluation of their roster through training camp, thought guys like Hala and Cunnan and all of those deserve to be in the lineup over a Tolvanen. But now we haven't really had Tomasino in the equation as well. So that's also probably why the youth movement's been put on pause a little bit. But we expect him on the ice very soon. And, you know, maybe he's in the lineup eventually as well. I think we're going to see some heavy rotation from that taxi squad this season, as Coach Hines said, and certainly something to look out for. This is not uh, the end or potentially it is the beginning of seeing Ellie Tolvanen with more regularity. Does Philip Tomasino, as you said, work his way onto the taxi squad and get a shot at some point? Those are the questions. We will find out the answers at some point over the next four months. And I did want to mention, and we've touched on it, but quickly, the newcomers, you want to talk about first impressions. Luke Cunningham scored a goal. Brad Richardson has an assist. Uh, Eric Halla has an assist. We know that Mark Borowiecki has now gotten an assist. Borowiecki was also a plus two. He blocked three shots. Matt Benning was a plus two. That third pairing between Benning and Borowiecki. Benning had two huge blocks. And Nick Cousins, as you mentioned, he was in the middle of everything. And so I, there was not a single newcomer on the ice last night who you didn't notice. And that is a very good thing for the Nashville Predators. I think especially that third defense pair really stood out to me. No offense to the guys who have been here in recent years, but I think you really saw why the Predators believe that Borowiecki and Benning were an upgrade on that third defensive pair just as a small sample size on opening night. 
Yes, and I think Borowiecki, that was a bit expected from, but I was impressed in a one-game sample size from Benning. I think he may be more of a five rather than a six or a seven being put into the third pairing. So I think that's encouraging. And then, again, on the small sample size, but Luke Cunnan's now scored what? In all three games that he's played, going back to the scrimmage. So I think that counts for something. And and I think Nick Cousins scored multiple goals and looked very good in the scrimmages as well. So I don't think it's too surprising to see him get close on opening night. I think that maybe means that the sample size means a little bit more than just 60 minutes. So far, so good. One down, 55 to go. It was a good start for the Nashville Predators. Certainly room for improvement. But we like what we've seen so far. And we'll discuss it a little bit more coming up next. Friend of the show, Sportsnet NHL insider Elliot Friedman. We're always excited to have him, and he will join us coming up next on the Predators official podcast here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Welcome back to the Predators official podcast here on ESPN 1025 The Game and streaming on the Game Nashville app. Brooks Bratton, Thomas Willis of NashvillePredators.com. And we are pleased to be joined now by our guest and, and what has become, I suppose, a, a annual start of the season conversation. Sportsnet NHL insider Elliot Friedman is kind enough to join us for the third time now on the podcast. Elliot, welcome back to the show. It's great to talk to you. How are things in Canada? Um, you know, they're not bad, all things considered. You know, we're in the middle of a lockdown right now, so you can't really go anywhere unless it's an emergency or a, a walk to go for uh, some exercise. But uh, as you know, guys, it's like the end times. How are you guys doing down there? We're good. We're we're hanging in there. Thomas and I, uh, as we record this on Friday morning, we were uh, both in attendance last night at Bridgestone Arena. So uh, that's nice. I, from nice from my perspective, it today. it was just so nice to be at a rink again and watch a hockey yeah. game. I'm jealous. I would never say I'm jealous of you guys too often, but I'm jealous right now. <laughs> I don't know how we're, offended I should be by that, but anyway. <laughs> We're excited to have you back. Hockey is finally back, of course. And uh, we've heard you pose this question to so many on your podcast, 31 Thoughts, the podcast. But we want to know from your perspective, what have the last four months uh, since the Stanley Cup was awarded? And I guess just this time in general, what has it been like for you to still cover this game that we all know and love in these times? What is that like right now? You know what? Honestly, it's fantastic. I, I think we've all learned that there's things we take for granted. Um, and I, I don't take this for granted. It was, um, you know, it was, it's funny as, as you were, t- as we were just starting this conversation, someone just sent me uh, a link to some ratings. So last, uh, so the channel I work for in Canada, Sportsnet, it's a national regional channel. We have both. We have some channels that go all across the country, and we have some channels that are split up by region. And, and last Saturday night in the Ontario region, we showed the blue and white game, which was the uh, like a scrimmage between the Maple Leafs. The half of them were blue and half of them were white. And you know their ratings beat all the NFL playoff games, and they beat. Like the the five the, the Saturday sports programming, uh, Leafs was number one, 
Um, and it was big. It was it had like 500,000 viewers. And the, the top NFL playoff game, Colts-Bills, had 156,000. So it just shows you that people miss it and people want to see it. And we're very, like, we're honored that, like, people tune into us and we, we don't take it lightly. Um, you know, I'll tell you, like, there was a funny thing that happened here the other night. Um, in the summer, my hair tends to get a little bit lighter. It lightens with the sun. And plus I had that disgusting beard, which I love, <laughs> but so when I, I'm, and I'm also sitting in a different location than I normally do. So I guess the lighting's different and my hair looked really dark and some people were tweeting that I dye my hair and I was like, I'm going to have some fun with this. And, you know, I wrote no chance. And the whole night, there was a big debate going on on Twitter and on our set about, do I dye my hair? And Berkey took a shot at me on Twitter. He's like, they made fun of his hair. And he goes, at least mine is real. And he tagged me. And people were like, are you going to take that? And my reaction was, guys, like, it's been so hard right now. If this is going to make everyone laugh, and there were a lot of people going back and forth on it. If this is going to make everyone laugh and have a good time while watching some hockey, man, let's embrace it because people's lives have really sucked and we're the diversion. Wow. Now that, that is great. Now Brooks and I both have red hair, so we don't have to debate about that too much. At least I think our listeners all know right. that. Yeah. Um, Elliot, I do want to ask you this, and this is a bit of a odd hypothetical, so I'm going to preamble a bit before I ask it of you, but, I think we all, you know, are starting to get more and more familiar with the new divisions and the new playoff format and just this concept of wanting to be in the top four um, when, you know, when season ends and starting to see it even, you know, on Thursday night between the Blue Jackets, the Preds thinking, and they're going to play again on Saturday and then it'll be the Hurricanes, you know, with more sets and over and over and over again. What do you think will be the gap between that four seed, so getting in, and then that fifth team who's not as the season goes on, and then being able to determine, like, what is a number that I can make up? Because I know I'm probably going to play the team that's ahead of me maybe two more times, but, you know, my mm -hmm. other teams uh, in the division are also playing each other. Because I think, could that affect longer term during the season, what teams do at the trade deadline, you know, how they construct their roster with this, you know, whatever they could view this number as being between that cutoff line between four and five? Well, I think it's going to be really close. And, you know, I, if you, if you take a look through history at the NFL, at the NHL schedule, especially since the, well, the commissioner hates when I call it that, but I always do. The, the loser point came in. Um, there's two things we've learned. The one, the standings say stay close, but two, if you fall behind, it's very difficult to catch the people in front of you, especially if you fall behind by four or five points. It's really hard to catch the people in front of you. So I think the fact that this is a 56-game season, it's going to be, like, honestly, there'll be, I wouldn't be surprised if one comes down to, like, a tiebreaker, you know, where the two teams have the same amount of points, and then you start going through the tiebreaker list and see who does it. Like, I don't think you're going to see too many divisions, if any at all, where the difference between playoffs and non-playoffs is five points. Like, I, I don't think you're going to see that. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I, I think the, the, there will be some teams that fall off the pace, but in a 56-game season with a lot of three-point games, you're not going to see too much of that. It's going to be a high-wire act all the way through between those teams right around the cut line.
Elliot, is it a case of, I mean, there's just so much uncertainty. And I, I think we saw it even last night in, in our yeah. game as, as we saw like everybody there, they're just not sure what to expect because of a short training camp, because of the lack of exhibition games. How, mm-hmm. how confident are you? How, how good of an idea do you feel like we have of how divisions and, and just teams in general are going to shake out. I know Toronto seems to be the favorite up there, but I, I still feel like anything can happen. I think this is going to be the most unpredictable season of our lifetimes. Like there are some things I believe. I believe Tampa is really good. And I believe some teams aren't that good. Um, like, you know, I don't think we think Chicago is that good and they play each other the other night and it was pretty much what we expected. Right. But I think that's in the minority. Um, you know, the other thing too, guys, is we, we don't even know who's going to be in the lineup on a day in day out basis. I mean, you guys are football fans. I, I don't know if you follow the NBA, you know, college football's big in your area of the woods, you know, college football season this year was, com- was completely crazy. It was, you know, there were 20 games getting canceled every week. The NFL played all their games, but you know, we just had a playoff game where the coach couldn't be there. You know, the NBA, we're getting nights where, you know, games are getting canceled. The Celtics haven't played in a week, but we're getting other games. I think that's going to be the case in hockey. Like last night, Edmonton played Vancouver in the back end of a back-to-back. Mike Smith was supposed to start for the Oilers, but, you know, they didn't even dress. Um, so it's, it's not only unpredictable in the sense that uh, there's no exhibition games and things like that, but – because of COVID, unfortunately, we're going to have situations where, you know, teams miss guys or don't even play. Like your game next Friday might be Dallas's first game of the season. Like that's how, that's how crazy this is all going to be. I mean, I, I noticed that the play in the first couple of nights in, the, in a lot of cases has been very scrambly because of the lack of exhibition games. The one thing I like about that is, I think hockey is better when people forget to play defense. Now, coaches don't like that, <laughs> and GMs don't like that, but I think it adds another level, and I think the scrambly play is going to be entertaining. We're speaking to Sportsnet NHL insider Elliot Friedman here on the Preds Official Podcast on ESPN 102.5 The Game. And I, I recognize that we're in the type or the point of the season where we have to, you know, abuse a small sample size. We've only seen one actual game, but predators in some way deliver what they had said all summer, which was tougher to play against better defensively. We saw some of the new faces deliver Brad Richardson, Eric Hall, Lucan and all picked up their first points uh, in Nashville. Yep. What do you think about some of those guys that they acquired? Will they help to that new philosophy of wanting to be tougher to play against? And, and then B again, a hypothetical in a sense, but I mean, do you think that this game plan continues with, with maybe lower scoring and you grinding out wins for Nashville this year? Well, well, I, I, I want lots of goals. I, I hope we get lots of goals because that's, that's more entertaining for fans. You know, it, it's pretty obvious that that's what you guys felt you needed to do. I like Borowiecki. I saw a lot of him up here. Uh, I think he's a great person. And I think he, the, the thing I really like about Borowiecki was he's a total long shot to make it. And he made it and he was deserving of what you paid him. And he's a guy who came out of nowhere to carve a a good career out. Um, Matt Benning, he's not like as edgy as Borowiecki or some of the other guys you got, 
but he's a really solid player, a good player. He's an NHLer. Uh, I've always liked Richardson. Um, I'm, I'm a, like, uh, he's a grinder. You know, my favorite uh, Brad Richardson story, and it's really, uh, it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of unfortunate. So his first NHL goal was, it was in Colorado against Vancouver, and it was a Hockey Night in Canada broadcast, and the, the transformer blew on the truck during the game. So before we could get our feedback on with the Colorado broadcast, he scored his first NHL goal, so it didn't air. Um, it oh. was just a ridiculously funny story. But <laughs> I've always liked him as a player. I, I think he's a really – I think he's a guy who – like I know the Arizona organization, they loved him. They thought he was so important for their culture. And Halla, I mean, he's a really talented guy. A million dollars for Halla, you don't think you're going to get that ever. So I like what you guys did around the margins of your roster. I think you've, you've made yourselves better. I just think that at the end of the day, the message that David Poole and John Hines are sending is, you know, we need our top salary guys to be our best players. And it didn't happen last year for one reason or another. But, you know, you, you, can, you can make yourselves deeper. You can improve the margins around your roster, which I think the Predators did. But at the end of the day, guys, your stars have to carry the mail. They have to carry the mail. And that's the, that's the big thing for the Predators this year. Elliot, you mentioned John Hines behind the bench, and he adds two new assistants as well, and Dan Hynote and Todd Richards. They're both Stanley Cup champions in their own right. How yeah. do additions like that help a team, and what do Richards and Hynote bring behind the bench? Well, Hynote, I always remember, was he was, um, as a player, he was a guy who had to grind his way to make it. Um, but he's always had a really positive reputation I think the toughest thing about seasons is that they're long. Now, this one is not as long as it normally is, but it's a mental challenge because of everything we're going through. You need people uh, around the game who, um, you know, who are positive, who make life a bit more enjoyable, and I think that's kind of what Hino's done. I, I think that's very important. You know, Todd Richards, he's a guy who's been a head coach before, as you mentioned, he just won a Stanley Cup in Tampa Bay. I just think he's smart. And, you know, the, one of the things I've learned over the years is just because, you know, you're, you're not somebody who lasts for 25 years as a head coach doesn't mean that you're not somebody who can provide insight and can be smart and say, you know, this is what's worked for me in the past. This is what hasn't worked for me at the past. This is what I've seen in Tampa uh, that made it work for them. Um, he's just been experienced. He's been around a long time. And I know there's a lot of people who speak highly of him. And, um, you know, and I think, too, you know, John Hines has been around as a head coach for a long time, not necessarily in the NHL as a head coach. Uh, Richards has been there a bit longer. I just think experience matters. You know, I've seen this. I've, I've been through that. I've, I understand this. This is what we did there that worked. This is what we did there that didn't work. I just think you need that kind of stuff. Thanks so much for doing this. We'll, we'll let you go on this because I think we held you a little bit longer than we promised. So it's all in, good. Short, no worries. in short, the central division, where do you picture it ending up? I guess 55 or so games from now, where do you think that the Predators slot within it? Well, I, I think we all see the top tier is as Tampa. Um, then I think there's a, a tier of what I, I think it's, 
Dallas, Carolina. And then I think it's you and Columbus. And, you know, obviously we're not expecting a lot of Chicago and, and Detroit this year. I'm really looking at what Florida's doing with its defense. They've just, they just picked up two guys on waivers and they've signed uh, another guy, Kevin Connaughton at the last minute. It's clear that they're not crazy about their team. So I would put them below you. I, I think you guys in Columbus will be battling. I think Tampa's in. I think it's you, Columbus, Carolina, and Detroit. And not Detroit and Dallas for the three. Uh, for the three of the uh, three of you will make the playoffs. One goal. That's what I think, and that's why last night, good start for you. They're already chasing you. Well, Elliot, as Thomas said to me last night after we uh, won that game, you can't win all 56 if you don't get the first one. So we are we are buckled up and settled in for potentially, as you said, the most unpredictable season of our lives. But thank you so much for doing this as always. We always uh, appreciate the chance to talk to you. And uh, we'll we'll catch you on 31 Thoughts. All right, guys. Uh, can't wait to, uh, Can't wait to come down to Nashville again. I, I, I am being robbed of my annual trip down to Bridgestone and to the city. I think this is criminal, and uh, I can't wait till uh, we get a chance to come back down there and see the Predators firsthand again. We will be happy to welcome you with open arms. We look forward to that. Best of luck this season, and we'll talk soon. All right, my pleasure, man. Guys, take care. Up next, did you know that you – Preds fans helped to save 10,000 lives in 2020. That, plus we'll start getting into some Twitter questions. This is the Predators official podcast on ESPN 1025 The Game. Podcast on the game streaming right now on the game Nashville app. For more about the show, go to nationalpredators.com slash podcast. While you're there, you can also rate and subscribe and listen to past episodes. Um, folks, we did get some five star reviews, which we'll read on air next week. So we still have our promise to you. If you give us a five star review, we'll read it for you. We got a couple good ones that you found recently um, that we'll have to share next week. So those are great. And if you want to be included in that reading of said five-star reviews, nationalpreds.com slash podcast. All right, Brooks. You know what pumps me up? Right, five-star reviews. We didn't, even, we didn't even plan that. And it just works out sometimes. I am in love with that song, by the way. And as you were saying to producer Max, from 2004, who knew? And yet, Yeah, who knew? And yet you heard it live at Bridgestone Arena on Thursday. <laughs> it's making a resurgence. And I have adopted it as my personal Preds victory song. So... There you go. It's already been used once. How many more times will it be used? We'll find <laughs> out soon. Um, two things for you to know. One, go to NashvilleLockerRoom.com. There are still Nashville Strong t-shirts and hoodies available, and those proceeds will benefit the victims of the Christmas bombing. So NashvilleLockerRoom.com, Nashville Strong t-shirts and hoodies. And then, Brooks, you're going to tell us about the Smashville at Home membership, which the pre-order window is closed, but they are on sale now, and people are still able to order. The Smashville at Home membership presented by Dr. Pepper allows you, Predators fans, to show your Preds pride from wherever you are. Join now to receive exclusive Preds items shipped to your front door every three months. Members also receive behind-the-scenes content, special benefits, and perks. And the winter membership is available right now. Get yours at NashvillePredators.com slash membership.
Brooks, you wrote a story this past week about what the Predators Foundation and the American Red Cross have been able to do. And I think so often on the show and maybe just in our day-to-day conversations, we focus on, well, this is different and this is limited and this has changed because of the pandemic that we are still in. However, this is an example of something that changed and changed really for the better than the Predators were able to do so much more than they ever have been in quote unquote normal seasons past. So um, catch us up on that. Yes. So, and the Predators do this every year with the Red Cross. They've been doing it for a number of years, these blood drives, but in 2020, there was still a need and the numbers were astronomical. So this past year, 3,523 units of blood were collected to produce enough red blood cells, platelets, and plasma to help save the lives of 10,569 people. So just from these blood drives that the Preds have organized with the Red Cross through Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama, 10,000 lives. That's, that's a number that, for example, the Predators in 2017, they were able to help save 531 lives. Still impressive. But 10,000, I thought, was worth mentioning. It's, it's a great accomplishment and, and just a show of what the foundation has continued to do during these times. So if you're interested, you can visit redcrossblood.org and use the code PREDS19 to schedule appointments in the months to come and help make a life-saving impact. So well done. If there's any of you who actually attended the blood drives and were able to help out in that way, we thank you. And uh, you're, the, the numbers are, are proof that what you're doing is working. So I thought that was cool to share and, and just how many lives that uh, Preds fans were help, able to help impact. We do try to keep this simple on you. It's just hashtag Preds podcast on Twitter. I mean, I think technically you could hashtag on Instagram or Facebook if you wanted to, but hashtag Preds oh, podcast on Twitter gets you into this show. And like you said, we're going to dive into the questions right now because we got a slew, as we sometimes say, a whole lot on a variety of different topics. Um, And we'll close out the rest of the show with that. And this is one of our favorite parts of the show, too, because I think we get asked questions. We're like, you know what? Let me go answer that or find the research to be able to answer that. And it helps you, the listener, be able to be involved in the show. So thanks to all of you. Hashtag Preds Podcast. You can use it anytime throughout the week or then when Brooks or or if I call for questions as well. That's great, too. Um, This has changed, honestly, since he tweeted it. But Caleb wanted to know. Could you guys explain the non-roster part of the roster? And you mentioned Mikhail Granlin and Lucas Spiza being on there. Of course, we now know only Granlin remains. Um, and I, I will touch this because I think I can do it quickly. So you may forget, but this has actually happened a lot of times in recent seasons um, in years past. You saw Ryan Hartman in, in recent years was on a non-roster to start a season. And it very simply means this. So, When a player is put, for example, on injured reserve, he does not count against that 23-man limit, but of course would still remain on the salary cap. It's almost in a clause like that. So the Predators are putting him on the roster in the sense that he counts against the cap and they expect him likely to return soon, but he does not count against the 23-man limit. So you may ask like, well, why did that matter? Because the Predators were at 21 anyway and the taxi squad. But I think it spoke in a sense to the the uncertainty a bit with Greenland and when exactly he would be able to come to the States when he'd be able to quarantine. So that is just a, a rule provided by the NHL when you're declaring that opening night roster, especially in Nashville's case, it had to be done on Tuesday because the season started on Wednesday, but their first game wasn't even until Thursday. They just happened to start a day late. So they're, they're allowed to do that. And it's like, like 
again, non-roster. It's like he's on the roster, but he's not. And so it doesn't count against that limit. And in the case of both Granlin and Spiza, it was COVID quarantine related. They're not hurt. And that's just something that we're obviously dealing with in this point in time. But yeah, well, well said. That's essentially saying like, we know you're going to be here at some point. You're not quite ready, but come on down when, when that time comes. So, and as you said, Lucas Pisa is no longer on there. Mikhail Granlin, the only one who is technically non-roster right now. And again, we could hopefully see him uh, within the next week or so. Drew asked about the second line. We'll skip that because I think we touched on it earlier in the show. But two things that are worth mentioning. He says, do you think UC Saros is ready to play a 40-game season out of the 56? And then what are your thoughts on Cunnan's potential if he could remain on the second line with Duchesne? I don't know that the plan would be for Saros to necessarily play 40 games. I think only in a 56-game season, that doesn't leave a lot for Pecorine. And I think just because of how compact and tight the schedule is, there's 10 sets of back-to-backs. We're going to get our first example early next week against Carolina. Uh, Lots of travel. You're playing 56 games in four months, so you're used to playing 82 games over six seven months so it's 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 definitely a tight schedule and there's even a chance for things to be tighter depending on what happens if games need to be postponed and that sort of thing I just think you're going to need both goaltenders and John Hines said that as much in training camp he was really impressed with both both Saros and Rene he said the decision to name a starting goaltender on opening night was maybe a little more difficult than he anticipated it would be just because of how good Saros was from what they already expected. And then Rene's resurgence coming back. And one of those guys who really is intent on having a bounce back season, whatever that looks like for Pekka Rene. So I really just believe that if there was ever a season that you're going to need two goaltenders to have to play really well for you, it's this season. And so I don't know that, again, that the plan would even be for UC Saros to play 40 games. I think it, I don't know that it's a split, but I think it's definitely closer, much closer than a, what would it be, a, a, a 40-16 uh, ratio with, with, between Saros and Rene. I think it'll be much closer than that. Mm-hmm. CJ and DJ, not two names that we made up, but he, uh, <laughs> CJ asked about Graylin in the lineup. We've touched on that a bit. And then DJ asked about the youth movement and does that change? I would say, for one, I think Graylin goes on the second line. I think Duchesne is there as well. I think it's Hala as of this moment, but if Cunnan continues on this pace, I could definitely see Granlin, Duchesne, and uh, Cunnan on that second line. But I think we've touched on that enough. Um, and then DJ wanted to know about the youth movement and had that changed. And, and I think we've talked about that some as well. The Tomasino clause, the Tolvanen clause, I think just he's only 21 years old. I, I don't think he was ready for the, the top line role. And I also think, in short, yes, the plan did change a little bit because I think under a normal scenario, there isn't a way where the Predators sign Mikhail Granlund and Eric Halla. If we're not in the pandemic, if the free agent and the cap you know, stays flat and the, the finances aren't the way that they are, Mikhail Granlund is expecting a three to five year deal for a cap hit of more than $5 million. The Predators were not prepared to do that. Eric Halla, you know, maybe he's able to resign in Florida or one of his other stops. You know, Maybe he's looking for a longer term deal as well. So I think, yes, there is a little bit of that. They did not think that they think these guys are better and better in players. And yet, you know, they're still both under 30. Like, <laughs> it's not exactly as if they're, you know, you know, guys of a thousand games or anything like that. But yeah, it's it's a simple roster evaluation and what they think is the best lineup to be able to win. And I think additionally, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, but 
wasn't some long-term commitment that throws this whole ship off course, right? It, it's one-year deals for both of them. So yeah. they're going to step in. They could both be gone next year. But you think, meaning the Predators management, that Hala and Granlin give you a better chance to win than Tolvanen, especially. And then we'll see if Tomasino's in that as well. But I would suspect that he is. And the youth movement, too, though those players have to prove themselves worthy of receiving NHL spots. And maybe they just haven't quite done that yet. The Predators set their opening night roster. They knew what they had. But that doesn't mean that the youth movement is going anywhere either. It's not like you're casting these players off and you're never going to see them again. I certainly think that you could see a number of young players still at some point through this season. So, yeah, a little bit different course maybe. Um, but certainly do not rule the youths out of things uh, as this season goes along either never doubt the youths never doubt the youth uh, <laughs> quickly um uh, we've got one minute to answer three questions uh scott had asked um he saw like a bump on a jersey and was curious about the player puck tracking and all of that so that's still a, it's happening but it's also coming before you're going to see it before you as a fan but yes like you've seen in the nfl recently with a chip in a shoulder pad. And all of a sudden you can see, oh, that running back was running at 22 miles per hour when he scored that touchdown. You're going to yeah. start to see more of that data and that you know factoring in um, to your game presentation and to the betting and the sports gambling angle of it as well. So honestly, great, great eyes to even catch that. And we'll have more detail. Yeah, great observation. Yeah, as time goes on. And then close us on this. Well, this is more of a joke, but Jason want to know. So the divisions are sponsored. Yeah. Why isn't the taxi squad sponsored by Uber or Lyft? Great question, Jason. I mean, connect those. Excellent. Parties. Maybe you can get a cut of that money. <laughs> and then close us on Kyle wanting to hear about Philip Forsberg's Mario worthy mustache or, or any other great mustache in history. I think we're reaching that level. It's glorious. Obviously, it has to be covered up by a mask when he walks into the building. But once he gets on the ice, you can see it. And uh, I think we saw on uh, Preds NHL Twitter last uh, last night on Thursday that uh, it was said that Mario was the greatest offseason acquisition for the Predators with Philip Forsberg and that mustache. Hey, if it brings more goals, that's all you can ask for. And Phil knows what he's doing with that glorious lip sweater. Thank you, Preds fans for joining us on episode 115 of the Predators official podcast. He is Thomas Willis. You can follow him at Tom A. Willis on Twitter. I'm Brooks Bratton. You can follow me at Brooks Bratton, at Preds NHL, of course. Thanks so much to Elliot Friedman. It's always a treat to hear from him. And the season will continue. As we said, one down, 55 to go. We'll take you through it all. The turns, the highs, the lows, the bends plenty to discuss in the weeks and months to come and we always appreciate you being here with us for thomas and brooks have a great week <laughs>